sorry about that. Shocking experience. Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to the 2014 Gould Holiness Lecture Series. I'm afraid I only got half the memo, Corey. I knew it was sweater day, but if I had read further in the memo, I would have realized it was a Lambert Brandis polo sweater day. So I promise I'll read the rest of the memo next time. But it's always good to be with you folks, and thank you for singing with gusto in those songs. I mean, I am encouraged today, right? And see the possibility and the hope of living into God's great kingdom. And uh, looking forward to continue to do that with you. And looking forward to what promises to be a glorious week with Dr. Ron Benefiel, our Gould lecturer. Uh, you have to make one correction. Uh, Dr. Benefield will be with us, of course, today during chapel and Friday during chapel. But the colloquium that he will be uh, leading uh, tomorrow, Thursday... Uh, from 3.30 to 5, is not in the basement of this church, but rather in Monroe Parlor. Uh, that's our normal place. We made some different arrangements for another speaker. And for some reason, I, I read that over a number of times, and I missed that. So uh, please join us tomorrow, Thursday at 3.30, in the Monroe Parlor for that colloquium, okay? But the Gould Lecture Series on Holiness offers the Eastern Nazarene College community the opportunity to hear outstanding Wesleyan scholars discuss aspects of the Christian doctrine of holiness. Dr. J. Glenn Gould began the Gould Lectures in 1945 in memory of his parents, the Reverend and Mrs. John Gould. The inaugural lecturer was published in a book entitled The Whole Council of God. Dr. Gould served as a minister in the Church of the Nazarene and from 1940 to 1945 served as editor-in-chief of the Church Schools Publication Office. In 1945, he accepted the pastorate of the Wollaston Church uh, here and took on the chairmanship of the Department of Theology at East Nazarene College, a position he held until his retirement in 1968, also serving as a professor of religion in the department. Following Dr. Gould's death, his daughter and son-in-law, Winifred, and the late Harold Jones continued to sponsor the lecture series. In addition, the college has been the beneficiary of support from the Gould family for establishing the Gould Library, originally located in Angel Hall, just uh, next to us, but now relocated to the second floor of the Nice Library. The Religion Department, on behalf of Eastern Nazarene College, is honored and excited to present Dr. Ron Benefield as the guest lecturer for the 2014 Gould Holiness Lecture Series. We finally got him, folks. Yes. And I'm excited about that. Dr. Benefield is Dean of Point Loma School of Theology and Christian Ministry. He previously served as president of Nazarene Seminary for 11 years, longer than I, I, I remembered, Ron. So, uh, that's a wonderful 11-year tenure there. And before that was a faculty member in theology at Point Loma. Dr. Benefield is known for his passion for serving any community of which he is a part, and his name is highly respected within the Church of the Nazarene. Over the past 40 years, he has served the denomination on numerous councils and boards related to education, research, and youth ministry. His work in the community has included serving on a board of directors of the Kansas City Urban Youth Center and rescue missions in Los Angeles, San Diego, and Kansas City. While serving as a Point Loma professor of sociology and religion from 1996 to 2000, Dr. Benefield co-founded and co-pastored Mid-City Church of the Nazarene with John Wright and David Whitelaw. Mid-City is now a thriving multi-congregational church. From uh, 1982... 
1996, he served as pastor of First Church of the Nazarene in Los Angeles, also a multi-congregational church. He also founded and served as the executive director of the Phineas F. Brzee Foundation, a nonprofit community center in Los Angeles's Mid-Wilshire District. Dr. Benefield received his BA and MA and an honorary Doctor of Letters degree from Point Loma and has earned his PhD in sociology from the University of Southern California. Please join me in a warm greeting as Dr. Ron Benefield comes to the lectern. Greetings in the name of the Lord. My name is Ron, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ is coming again. And in this in-between time, this time between his ascension and his soon return, he has not left us alone, but he has given us himself, his spirit, who walks with us, comforts us, encourages us, and points us always forward to his soon return. So in this time in between, we not only know the presence of Christ, we also know the hope of his soon return. What I'd like to talk to you about this week as I'm here just these short days is holiness as it relates to the presence of God and the hope of his soon return. When I'm talking about holiness, I have a story I like to tell. It's a story that I've told uh, enough times that um, there's always the chance that there's somebody here who's already heard me tell this story. Probably I should learn some new stories, but this one's just so good that I can't resist. When I um, was called to be the president at Nazarene Seminary in Kansas City, uh, my family um, wasn't all that excited about it. We were moving from San Diego to Kansas City, after all. (laughs) And especially it was difficult for my oldest daughter, Leanne. Leanne is a very... um, dramatic person. She is um, kind of a star in some ways. When she's in a good mood and comes into the room, she brightens the room. But when Leanne's not in a good mood, the whole place just goes cold when she walks in. More than anything, she hates to be alone. So when we moved from San Diego to Kansas City and left all of her friends behind, she felt very, very alone. The move didn't go well. In fact, um, mother and I often would walk by her room at night and hear her in her bedroom crying, crying herself to sleep, As I mentioned that Leanne's a very dramatic person, sometimes it sounded more like wailing. (laughs) 
And as it turns out, as those things go, she moved to this new context. She didn't have any friends. She was alone. And as they say, she, she fell in with traits, some practices that she certainly hadn't learned in our household. And some of that, as she has told her story and not only given me permission to tell her story, but encouraged me to tell this story, different places where I would speak, that included um, um, cutting herself. And uh, her mom and I didn't really know what to do. Uh, Here's our daughter, who we had dedicated to the Lord, who uh, we had brought up in the church, and now she seemed slowly to be slipping away from us in ways that we didn't know what to do, couldn't reach her. We could only hope that as um, I had served as youth pastor and uh, tried to be there for the youth, the kids of other families, when they went through those difficult, sometimes difficult transitional years, we could only hope that there would be somebody there for Leanne. There was a period of maybe a year and a half where we didn't know whether she would come back to us or not. It was really scary. And I remember the day that uh, after going to Nazarene Youth Congress and a camp and different people who spoke into her life, that she came back to us and she said, Mom, Daddy, just want you to know that I've come back. Come back to the faith. Come back to the Lord. What a great day that was. True. Shortly after that, she came to me and she said, um, Daddy, I've been thinking. I think I'd like to get a tattoo. Well, now I know you wouldn't know this from looking at me, but I'm not the kind of guy who's really big on tattoos. <laughs> For me, it sort of represented some of what, um, some of what her friends had, that when she was sort of out there, so a lot of them had a lot of tattoos. And to me, that was sort of symbolic of, I don't know, that's like where she'd been. And um, so we talked about it a little bit. And I tried to explain to her, like she didn't know this, that it doesn't come off in the shower. Once you've got it, it's pretty much yours, you know. And she said, yeah, well, I've been thinking about it, and I really want to get a tattoo. So I, so I said, okay, and... Off she went, and she came back, and she said, Daddy, you want to see my tattoo? And I said, well, where is it? (laughs) (laughs) So she said, oh, it's just just on my foot. I said, oh, that would be okay. (laughs) So she took off her sandal, and um, there um, there was a tattoo of the Hebrew word for covenant, so that whenever for the rest of her life, whenever she would look down as she's walking, she would remember that she belonged to God. And I thought, huh, maybe I should get a tattoo. Just kidding. 
as it turns out, uh, that wasn't uh, the only tattoo. She decided she wanted to get a second tattoo, which seemed a little like overkill to me. But So she, uh, she came home with a second tattoo on her other foot. And the other foot, the tattoo, is Maranatha. So, in some ways that was more profound than Leanne realized, she was um, marking herself after cutting herself. She was marking herself with these words that symbolize the covenant that she had with Christ and that Christ had with her already. And the Maranatha, the hope of his soon return, the not yet. The covenant of already, the Maranatha of not yet, the already, the not yet, that walking this journey, this lifelong relationship with Jesus, that is the end of the story breaking into the middle. It is the hope that we have, the presence of Christ who walks with us along the way, but always in hope of his soon return. Maybe I will get a tattoo. As I've been thinking about this, there's a passage in Scripture that I'd like to speak to you about just for a few minutes. It's in John chapter 11. You know this passage, probably. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus. Do you remember... Jesus is with the disciples, and they're over where John had been baptizing, down near Jericho, the Dead Sea area, 20 miles or so through bad country between there and Jerusalem. And the word comes to Jesus and his disciples that his dear friend, Lazarus, is sick. And somehow Jesus knows all about Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he says to his disciples, this is for the glory of God. He already knows what he's going to do, the raising of Lazarus. This is really important in the story. He already knows what he's going to do. And so then it says, he decided to stay there two more days. Lazarus is sick. He decides to stay two more days. And then after a couple of days, he says to his disciples, it's time for us now to go back up to Jerusalem. We need to go back and see see Lazarus. For Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples say, you don't want to go back to Jerusalem. Don't you remember? That's just where we came from, and they were trying to kill you there. And Jesus says, no, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I need to go back to wake him up. And the disciples say, you know, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to be okay. He's going to wake up. And Jesus says, plainly, Lazarus died. But I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you'll be able to see the glory of God. And Thomas says, And by the way, in the passage, it names him as Didymus. So Thomas' nickname is Didymus, which apparently indicates that he was the second born of identical twins. 
and he was called Didymus, which means ditto. (laughs) Think about it. No wonder Thomas is the one that's always the sort of the, sees the downside of life. How would you like to be called ditto? So here's ditto who says, all right, you can see Thomas saying this, let's go to Jerusalem and die with him. So off they go. They head up to Jerusalem, which is Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. And there as he enters into this little village, or just outside the village, Bethany, there's Martha. And Martha says to him, oh Lord, I'm so glad you're here. If only, if only you would have been here a couple days ago, Lazarus would not have died. If only you would have been here. Where were you when I needed you? I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to see you. If only you would have been here just a couple days ago, Lazarus would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you say, and Jesus says, your brother shall rise again. Lazarus shall rise again. And Martha, who's part of the Pharisees, who believed in the resurrection from the dead, she said, I know that my brother will rise in the final day. And Jesus says these immortal words, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. So right here in the middle of the story, we have these great words. Martha says, I know that my brother will be raised in the final day. Let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, Jesus says, I am. It's one of the seven I am passages in the book of John. And any time in the book of John, especially that we hear these words out of the mouth of Jesus, I am. It is something that says to us something about who Jesus is. That he is one with the Father. The one who is the great I am. That, that Yahweh that comes from the burning bush, when Moses stands before the burning bush and says, who shall I say has sent me to free the people of Israel out of Egypt? And the voice from the bush, God, says, tell them, I am, I am, Yahweh, the eternal state of being, the one who is the beginning and the end. That's the name that God gives for himself, the I am. So here is, here is Jesus, who before Martha says, I am. Which then helps us understand that part of what is happening here is Jesus is saying that as God in the beginning created, so here we have the very beginning. So we need a great big huge whiteboard or something. And way on this side, we're going to have creation. So in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there wasn't anything that was made except from Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, in creation. In the very beginning, here is Jesus with the Father, who creates all things, is the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of life itself, creation. I am the one who is with the Father in creation. So, Jesus says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. If we unpack that a little bit, it says, 
Jesus, who is now one with God, is the one in whom there is life. Some time ago, I happened to be uh, uh, observing a painting that I thought was really interesting because it was by a famous, it was from a famous painter, artist. It was um, it was a Picasso. And as I was looking at this Picasso and admiring it, I um, I thought, huh. I wonder if Picasso were here, seeing me admiring his painting, what he would say. And then I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if Picasso were here, and I were admiring his painting, he might say, do you like Picassos? And I would say, I like this one. And he would say, if you like Picassos, well then... Give me some paper and some painting. I am Picasso. You like Picassos? I'll give you a Picasso. I am Picasso. (laughs) And Jesus, who is the life. The question is, where does life come from? The one who was with the Father in creation. The beginning of all things. The great I am. The beginning and the end. Where does life come from? So Martha says, I know that my, my brother will rise again. Jesus says, I am the life. Where I am, there is life. Where do you think life came from? I am one with the Father who created life. There is life in me. And not only that, but there's also now this end of history. Jesus says... I am the life and the resurrection. So you are looking forward to that day when your brother will rise again. I know that in the final day my brother will rise again. Resurrection, the final day, anticipating the final day, the end of all times, when the dead in Christ will be raised again. So Jesus says, I am The life and the resurrection, or the resurrection and the life. So you look forward to resurrection, that in the final day, that the dead will be raised, that there will be that that trumpet sound and that shout, and all of time will end, and all of those who have died in faith will be raised and will be forever with the Lord, and there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more cancer. Great and glorious day. I am the resurrection, Jesus said. Where do you think resurrection comes from? So here is the one who from the beginning and will be at the end. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ is coming again. Now we have a very interesting thing. Jesus moves from this conversation with Martha He moves over, and Martha slips away and goes and tells Mary that the Master has come. And Mary is in the house, and she's crying. She is beyond herself with grief. She's so heartbroken that she can hardly see straight. I mean, the tears have clouded her vision. There are other people who've gathered with her who are trying to comfort her. She's just crying endlessly. 
And so she rises quickly as Martha says that the master's here and wants to see you. And she goes out and there is Jesus. And again, she says, oh, master, if only you would have been here. And Jesus, seeing her grief, we have this just really remarkable passage. That first verse that some of you memorized because it was the shortest verse in the Bible. says, Jesus wept. Now, isn't this curious? We have to remember that Jesus knows what he's going to do. That he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's what he told the disciples when he was still down in near Jericho. From the very beginning, he knew what he was going to do. So why is he crying? Why is he grieving? What's that about? He already knew what he was going to do. He knows he's going to stand before the tomb and say, roll away the stone and then shout out the words and Lazarus is going to be raised from that. He already knows that. He knows what he's going to do. But seeing her grief, this one, capital O, who was with the Father in creation and who is the one who will be the source of resurrection in the final day, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who is the great I am, sees Mary in the garden. It's down next to her and starts to cry with her. Isn't that remarkable? Can you imagine that? I think that's just the most unbelievable thing that the one who is the son of God the one who is life himself sits down with a woman in grief knowing what he's going to do and just cries with her I have a theory that the deeper the pain, the shorter the prayers. I, uh, I guess for me it's not just a theory. When Janet died, whew, I don't know if I can tell this without crying, it just happened, so you'll have to bear with me. When Janet died a year ago, the bottom fell out. Now, I'm a pretty strong Christian. You know, in fact, I'm a minister. I'm ordained. I've been to seminary. I have degrees. I know the Bible and I know theology. And Janet died and the bottom fell out. It's not as though I didn't believe. It's just that there was no bottom. And I fell. It was like free fall. There was nothing there to catch me. It was just falling, falling, falling. So here's this theory that became something I understood too, that the deeper the pain, the shorter the prayers. 
You know, we can gather at the beginning of a Sunday school class or in a Bible study or something and say, okay, what prayer requests do we have? We can write them all on the board, and that's what we should do because we're community and taking all of our requests, making all of our requests known to God. And then, so we'll pray and pray for Aunt so-and-so's cat and hope that the cat gets better. And this and that, and all of life. And that's good. But when tragedy comes, the prayers get shorter. In Romans 8, 26, it says, we do not know how to pray as we should. And as the prayers get shorter, they begin to sound like this. Oh, Lord, help me. If you're there, help me now. And then it sounds like this. It's, oh, Jesus. And then like this. Help. Help. And then it sounds like this. Ah, ah, ah. In Romans 8, 26, it says, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That the very Spirit of God, one who is the great I am, the beginning and the end, the one who is with God in creation and who is coming in the final day, Christ died, Christ rose, Christ is coming again, is also the one who breaks into our world now and joins us and comes right to where we are, right to where we live, sometimes right to where we hurt and right to where we grieve right to where our deepest fears are, and sits down on a rock next to us and draws us close and pulls us close, swoops down underneath us, becomes the ground under our feet and lifts us to the Father. And even when we don't know how to pray as we should, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So that as deep as the pain and as deep as the groanings go, That's where the Spirit of God goes. And then we have this. Jesus gets up from this rock in the garden or wherever, goes in front of the tomb, and there he says, remove the stone. And they say, it's not a good idea. He's been dead four days. Not a good idea. It kind of stinks in there. Jesus says, roll away the stone. And then it says, with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And out comes Lazarus, bound hand and foot, waddling out of the tomb. And it reminds me of that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, Jesus is going to come again. And there will be a shout, and the trumpet shall sound, and all those who are dead in Christ shall rise and greet him in the air. And in this passage in John 11, we have this story of the one who is the great I am, the beginning and the end, the one in whom there is life and resurrection, who is coming again. And just as he stood before Lazarus' tomb and said, 
Lazarus, come forth. There is a day coming when there will be a shout and a trumpet sound and all those including my wife will come forth and we will be forever with the Lord. So, my friends, it says to encourage one another with these words. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ is coming again. And in this time in between, he has not left us alone, but he has given us his spirit, the very life of God, who is here with us, who walks us with us, who joins us in this time of trouble, who joins us in the depth of sometimes our grief and our loss, but always in hope of his soon return so that we're being prepared even now as God is with us for the great and glorious day of his soon return. Thanks be to God.